Gospel of Joseph. <laughs> We're finally at the climax of the story of Joseph and his brothers. Tension has been building for a long time, and now the tension will be beautifully resolved. As Joseph, in chapter 45, will finally reveal himself to his brothers. Remember, they simply think that he's vice Pharaoh at this point. They don't realize who he is. They think he's vice Pharaoh who's rejected them as spies. But today, they will be accepted as family. Chapter 37, they threw Joseph away, but now he's going to bring them near. It's an awesome chapter. In fact, these chapter, the, the last few have been awesome. And if you look back even to chapter 42, you see the whole time Joseph is bringing them near. Today's just the climax of the story. But he's been doing this for a while now. Ever since they came down from Canaan to buy some grain, he recognized them. They didn't recognize him. And he began to draw them in, to draw them near. He does this through conviction. He wants to lead them to repentance over what they did. All those years ago, so he begins to test them. And remember, the conviction that we're brought isn't to crush us. Someone's already been crushed, and it's not us. The conviction is, to, is for our good. It is to bring us close. Joseph's desire this whole time is actually so that they might come and live down in Egypt and be safe from this famine that's going throughout the region, not just to survive the famine. He actually wants them to thrive in the famine. But first, there's going to need to be some assurance that they are sincerely ready for a renewed relationship with Joseph. And so he tests them. Last week we looked at one test, the silver cup in Benjamin's sack. That was a doozy. He had a servant go stop them on their way back to Canaan and accuse them of stealing it. And when all that went down, in the back of their minds, they knew this isn't about the silver cup. In the back of their minds, they knew that this is all about something they had done to their brother 20 years before. And when this all went down, they felt their sin in a new way, the conviction in a new way, and they began to change. We didn't know what they were going to do. We went through this last week. Are they going to let Benjamin fend for himself, go back to Egypt by himself, just like they sent Joseph to Egypt by himself? Or is there going to be something different, a change? They changed, we saw last week, knowing that it was their own sin that brought this trouble upon them. All of Joseph's brothers stayed with Benjamin, went back to Egypt to plead his case. And Joseph could tell that their hearts had been regenerated, made new. And that is exactly what Joseph needed to see. And that's exactly what Joseph wanted to see, what he had longed to see. And so now it's time for him to embrace them in radical acceptance. And since Joseph is a type or a foreshadowing of Jesus, what we learned today in 2022 is the radical acceptance of Jesus for us. Chapter 45 really for us today is all about the acceptance of Christ. Do you know the acceptance of Christ? Do you, here's a question, okay, follow it. Do you accept the acceptance of Christ? That's the big lesson for today is that you are going to have to accept the fact that you're accepted. No matter who you are. It's a tough one to learn. I was reading the Puritans uh, the other day, 
And you know, they're always trying to be pure. <laughs> they wanted to do everything right all the time. And thus this led to a lot of good things, but also a lot of guilt, shame in the Puritans. You see it in their writings. They're always mourning about something deep inside of them. And one of the writers I was reading said, at some point, brothers, look, we just have to accept that we're accepted. Do you know this acceptance? Do you know the acceptance of Christ? It can be tricky for some of you because it can change the way you view Christ and it can change the way you view yourself. But our acceptance is a massive part of the gospel. I mean, this is such good news. This is part of the gospel. It's easy to breeze past. We don't focus on it as much as we ought because we're usually very focused on getting others to accept Christ, and rightfully so. You do have to make this decision to accept Christ, to believe who he, uh, to believe what he says about himself, to believe he is who he says he is, to believe he accomplished what he said he accomplished through his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. You have to accept all of that. That's true. But the most amazing part of the gospel, the good news, is really is not that you accept Christ. I mean, that is amazing. But there's one sense, okay, not the whole enchilada, but one sense in which you accepting Christ is sort of a no-brainer, okay? Especially once your eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit. I mean, you're sinful, he's sinless, right? You're headed for judgment, he offers forgiveness. You're going to have to pay for sin, he offers to pay. You're going to die, he offers resurrection. There's a sense in which you don't need a real high IQ to accept Christ. No offense, right? We're thankful that you accept Christ. But honestly, that's not the most amazing part of what happened in your salvation. The more amazing part is that Christ fully, completely, totally accepts you. That's the thing angels long to look into. John 6, 37, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. No one who wants Jesus is evaluated. And then sit back because they're not up to snuff. He accepts with no exceptions those who follow him. And today our focus is on this, and we need to focus on this. Paul focused on this in passages like Ephesians 1.6, where he said, to the praise of his glorious grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Everything Jesus does in the gospel is done that he might accept Whoever believes in him, do you know the acceptance of Christ? Are you accepting the acceptance of Christ? Again, it's harder than it sounds. Some of you today are going to leave, and this is your application point. You're going to have to leave doing the hard work of no longer working. Of Sabbathing in his acceptance. Let's learn about the acceptance of Christ. We see it foreshadowed in the story of Joseph and his brothers. I want you to know this. First, his acceptance from the heart. Not just from his head. Not just on legal paperwork. His acceptance is from the heart. So if you remember, Benjamin was accused of stealing a silver cup. The punishment would have been to be a slave in Egypt. Judah has a total heart transformation. He asks for mercy from, for Benjamin, even if that means trading himself 
in for slavery, putting himself in Benjamin's shoes. Then the page turns after that heart change. Salvation is taking place. Salvation has taking place. And look at verse 1 of chapter 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me so that no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Let's stop right there real quick. I mean, let's get this moment. All right, use your imagination. Joseph has been wanting with all of his heart to be reunited with his brothers, but he doesn't know if they're going to accept him. If they're ready to repent of what they did all those years ago. But then chapter 44, they do. So it's finally time for him to accept them. And in the middle of this, Joseph's heart just explodes. I mean, this would have been taking place in a courtroom situation. I mean, the brothers essentially think they're standing before their judge and they're pleading their case on a criminal trial. And all of a sudden, the judge on the bench starts weeping. Like, get this, I mean, just get this in your head. I mean, I'm talking uncontrollable. Waterworks. He's like in Egyptian, telling all the Egyptians, go, leave, leave the room. Bailiff, out, right? Jury, out. Everybody, out. And I'm sure the servants are like totally blindsided. Like, what? Why is Pharaoh weeping in a court case? I'm sure his brothers are confused and stunned and befuddled and flabbergasted and all those fun words. I mean, Joseph, he's been internally longing for his brothers from the heart, and now he can't hold it in. It is all coming out in public, so much so that the servants can hear him as they run out of the room and rush down the hall. And the brothers are the only one left in the room, and they're just watching, watching Joseph's emotion spill out all over the floor. Tears flood the judge's bench. And I want you to know that in the context of chapter 45, you will see that these are tears of joy. He's about to welcome his brothers to live with him through the famine and forever after that. In this moment, Joseph is a beautiful glimpse of the Jesus who was to come thousands of years later and weep tears of joy as you let him pay your price. He says in the scriptures that there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Did you know the one who is seated to judge you floods his courtroom with tears of joy when judgment is no longer necessary because you've received mercy? You have to know this. Jesus is so glad to be the one saving us from sin. Even more glad than Joseph was to save his brothers from the famine. I need you to get some of this into your soul. I need you to imagine this this morning. You need some of this in your mind's eye. You need to see Jesus shedding tears of joy over your salvation. He is so glad you're here. You are totally, completely, fully accepted in Christ. Are you willing to accept this kind of acceptance? 
Some of you are not used to the emotional side of the gospel. Here, here's what happens. We're conservative Christians, right? And if there's one thing we're talented at, it's overreacting. Um, we're super good at it. Anybody needs lessons, just let me know. Right? So we see that some people out there, they have the feelings of the gospel, but not the facts. And we don't like that. They need the facts. Some of that's true. Okay? So what do we do? We overcorrect. Uh, just kind of our MO, kind of our go-to just seems to work. So we overcorrect and we go to the facts of the gospel and mistakenly leave out some of the feelings of the gospel as if that is somehow better. I would say there is better parts about that because we do need the facts. They cannot go away. They must be upheld, but it's not good to reject the emotions behind these things. Our Christian minds are, they need to be allowed to, to, to flourish, but so do our Christian hearts. Our our Christian minds and our Christian hearts need to be allowed to shake hands, right? We need to be careful with just focusing on the law and the doctrines and the theological terms and singing about those. There is so much good in that, but we need to be careful not to do only that. And we need to give ourselves permission to feel the fact that Jesus' heart is on fire for us in the midst of these facts. And he rejoices over us with singing, Zephaniah says. Or maybe it's Zechariah. It's one of the disease. Right? Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not saying to in any way diminish the facts. I'm saying a whole gospel comes with some feeling. It's from the heart of Jesus. Are you willing to accept the facts and the feelings of the gospel? Are you willing to accept being accepted in this way with intense emotion from the heart of Jesus? It'll change a little bit how you see Jesus and how you see yourself. You see, with our dry gospel... We wouldn't say this out loud, but deep down in our subconscious, in our bones, in the deepest parts of us, we are relating to God as some sort of Christian mama that we have to make happy because if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. In our dry gospel, we get some identity, right? We're the ones doing right. We're walking with God. We're pleasing God. We're obeying God. We know the right answers. This makes us a good boy, good girl, maybe even better than someone else. Question, are Joseph's brothers good boys? No. Are they better than anyone else? No. They're accepted because Joseph is good and he is filled with holy, overwhelming oceans of emotion and love toward them. Why? Because they're his. They're not the best brothers. But they're his brothers. Can you accept that you are not accepted because you are good good people? You are accepted because you are God's people. Can you accept that you have not made mama happy? But God the Father is erupting with happiness because of what Christ did on your behalf. In Christ, God is eternally, infinitely, overly, abundantly happy with you without any of your performance? Are you willing to see yourself this way as totally and completely accepted, not just by the facts, but by the heart of Jesus? Are you willing to see yourself as John laying on the chest of Jesus at the table, not because you're the best disciple, but because you're the disciple whom he loves? 
Are you willing to see yourself as a lost coin that the old lady rejoices over, not because you're the most valuable coin, but because you're her coin? Are you willing to see Jesus as the father who lifts up his robe and runs across the yard and embraces you and gives you a gold ring and a neck full of bling, throws a party, gets you a double cheese from the fatted calf, not because you're a good son, but because you're his son and you've come home. Can you accept that you're accepted this way? changes the way you see yourself. And it can change the way you even see Jesus. He is no longer your employer. He is no longer your college admissions officer checking your application. He is no longer your coach who's happy with your stats. He's no longer your TSA agent patting you down and saying, oh, you're good. Get on the plane. He's your brother. And he loves you because you're blood related with his blood. It changes the way we see ourselves, not as the best, but blessed. That's good. You could tweet that. <laughs> I didn't know how good that was going to sound. That sounds good. <laughs> Will you accept that you're accepted from the heart of Jesus? This is, there is facts to the gospel. We'll never deny them. We'll die for them. But it's more than just facts. He feels for us. He accepts us from the heart. Two, his acceptance is supernatural. What I mean by this is that it is unnatural. Or another way you could put it is it makes no sense. Now, it makes sense to the mind of the Trinity, okay, but not to our flesh. We can't explain it. We can't calculate it. can't parse it. It relies on the logic of the supernatural, not the natural, right? Verse three, then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph, Right, first time he speaks in Hebrew instead of Egyptian to them. And his brothers couldn't even answer, for they were dismayed at his presence. Right, so in the midst of all the tears, he starts rushing toward them with open arms, starts crying out in Hebrew, right? Ani Yosef, Ani Yosef, I'm Joseph, it's me, it's I'm Joseph. Is, is dad really still alive? And they all jump back, right? They brace themselves, they're dismayed at his presence, and who wouldn't be? Like, first of all, you're absolutely in awe that any of this is happening. You can barely believe it. Like, is this real life? Did the kid we sold into slavery at 17 somehow rise in the ranks to this level? And if this is real life, what's about to happen to me? Because the last time I saw him, I was waving goodbye as he was heading in a caravan of Ishmaelites down to Egypt for slavery. Right? So there's this massive uncertainty that comes with this running. And yet, Joseph says something that makes no sense. He says, he is something you'd never think he'd ever say to his enemies. It's something you can't predict if you're in that courtroom as one of the brothers. Verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. And he said, I'm Joseph, your brother. You sold me into Egypt. Come near, come near, come near. Right, The moment calms down. He takes a deep breath. He might smile a little bit, and he motions them in. Come here. Come here. I guarantee they didn't see this coming. This would be bewildering. Like, what? You want a hug? This isn't adding up, Joseph. We ruined your life. The math is wrong on this, and you're right, because what we have here isn't math. It's forgiveness, and forgiveness doesn't care about math. Come near, come near, come near, Joseph says. Come near, come here. I'm Joseph, it's me. 
It's like, but we sinned against you. I mean, we're mad at ourselves about our sin. We hate ourselves for our sin. We feel terrible for our sin. I mean, in one sense, they must almost want there to be some sort of revenge from Joseph just because it, at least it adds up, right? Like, at least make us beg, right? cuss us out, throw a chair, you know, brother stuff. Worse than that, they could, he could say, I, I'm so disappointed in you. That'd be the worst, right? But they want, they're like, you want a powwow? Yeah. Because what we have here is acceptance, and acceptance doesn't care about revenge. Joseph bewilders us all, and especially his brothers. Come near, come near, come near. It's bewildering because this kind of acceptance rests on the supernatural, not the natural. Look at Joseph's explanation. Look at verses 5 through 8. It's unbelievable. Verse 5, But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine's been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity, which means a remnant for you and all the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Right? They see what they've done. They know there should be consequences. They're kicking themselves. They're ashamed to their core. They are dismayed at his presence, but he is not dismayed at theirs. Though they did great evil, God in his goodness supernaturally has turned this all around and is saving them. Some of you today, you might be dismayed in the presence of Jesus, but he's not dismayed in your presence. He knows what you've done, what you do. He knows your nature. It is bad, but he also sees what God the Father has done supernaturally, and it is good. Yeah, we nailed him to the cross, and yet God supernaturally allowed all of that to preserve our lives forever. There's no need to hate yourself. There's no need to be angry with yourself. There's no need for you to get revenge on yourself. God has supernaturally worked all your sin out for your acceptance. For some of you, this is the hardest part of the gospel. This is the hardest part of the gospel to to grasp, the supernatural acceptance, God miraculously using the worst event in human history for the best event in human history, miraculously using evil for good. It makes no mathematical sense. It makes no logical sense. It makes no legal sense. It's hard for us. But are you willing to accept the fact that you are supernaturally Accepted. It's hard. It takes practice. It takes some getting used to. It's not natural. It's unnatural. It's supernatural. It's not like anything else. You see, all of our relationships in nature have some sort of performance baked into the acceptance. Right? Think about yourself as a kid, right? Your parents, what do they say? Hey, if you get good grades, we'll take you out for ice cream. Think about marriage. Right? You, do, you, you go to the wedding, you, 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 unconditional love. I have unconditional love for you, wife. Wife, unconditional love. Husband, unconditional love. Yeah, when you do something wrong to your wife, you lose 50 points. When you go to make up for it and do something right, you buy her flowers, you take her on a date, you get one point. <laughs> do you, you guys know this, right? 
We're used to relationships like this. It's the natural way of relationships in our flesh and the brokenness of humanity. And then comes along Jesus, and you bring home a report card that's so red it looks like it's bleeding. You've got to put a Band-Aid over half of it. And he's like, stick it on the fridge. We're going out for ice cream. What, Jesus? We crucify him, and then he marries us all over again and says, you're the bride, the bride of Christ. You're like, Jesus, What? Can I at least clean up some of this blood first? Let me clean up my mess. He says, my blood is what's cleaning the mess. Nothing left to do. It's unnatural. It's different. It's supernatural. Can you accept the fact that you are accepted? Can you accept this kind of acceptance? Can you accept the fact that it is finished? And stop asking him into your heart every night in case you die in your sleep. I know what you're like, because I'm the same way. Can you accept the fact that he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And can you stop asking for forgiveness thousands of times for the same sin of the past? Can you accept the fact that he said he is for us and stop trying to come up with some imaginary scenario where he's at least 20% against us and every day we got to get on his good side? Again, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some getting used to. It changes the way we interact with Jesus. When you accept that you are supernaturally accepted, you stop talking to him like some sort of pharaoh in a distant land. You've got to appease. And you start talking to him like you would a brother. Look at verse 9. We looked at verse 8. Stop there. Let's go back. Verse 9, he says, Hurry, tell my father. Say, thus says your son Joseph, God's made me Lord of... All of Egypt, come down, do not tarry. Verse 10 and 11, we'll get back to that, but he's going to tell him that, hey, you're going to come live with me. Verse 12, behold, okay, this is all real. Your eyes and the eyes of my brother, Benjamin, you see, it's my mouth that speaks to you. Okay, this is all real. Tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and that you have, well, all that you've seen, you will hurry and bring my father down here. But before you go, Verse 14, he fell on brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Verse 15, moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And I love this next line. It's fantastic. It's amazing, unbelievable. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Love that line. His brothers talked with him. Their interactions with Joseph have totally changed, haven't they? This Pharaoh that they feared now pulls up a chair and they go into a chat deep into the night. This king they were trying to appease, they now simply enjoy. They talked with him. I mean, they had a lot of last time to make up for. It's about 20 years. Joseph wants to hear how things are back in Canaan. How's dad? I'm sure they want to hear a little bit like, how'd you become a Pharaoh? It's pretty interesting. Didn't see that coming. I mean, they talked and talked. I imagine this is one of those talks. You have these talks once in a while. It's one of those talks where you talk and and you look up and you have no idea how three hours just passed. You talk and you talk and you have no idea. How is it midnight? You ever had a conversation like this? Just such an enjoyable conversation. I remember having this type of conversation with uh, Josh Mall, Pastor Josh. When we first met, you know, he, how Josh and I met, he was going to interview me for a seminary paper. He said it would take about an hour in the afternoon. He came, we sat in that room in the back, we talked, and all of a sudden the sun was going down and he was our assistant pastor. 
It's enjoyable. That's an enjoyable conversation, right? <laughs> Believe it or not, this is the type of relationship Jesus invites you to. This is the type of relationship Jesus has in store for you with him. Do you want this kind of relationship? It's going to take some work because it's unnatural, supernatural. You're going to have to do the work of not working, and you're going to have to come to peace with the fact that you are not going to earn this. You will not be making it any easier on him to save you. You get no glory. There are no conditions to be met. All that's left to do is talk. Because you're supernaturally accepted. His acceptance is abundant. Go back up to verse 10. Go back up to verse 10. We read in 9 and 13, Joseph is urging his brothers, go get Jacob, come back up, see me. But look at what he says. I mean, it's such good news. It's abundant acceptance. Verse 10, you'll dwell with me. You'll dwell in the land of Goshen. And you'll be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And there I will provide for you, lest you and your households and all that you have come to poverty. For there's still five years of famine left. Words cannot describe such acceptance. Only thing I can think to describe it is abundant, right? They did not want to live near him. They sent him away, and now he's moving them close, choosing to live with them. They drove him into poverty. They sold him into the lowest class of men at that time, the slave trade. Now he is going to provide for them in order to save them from poverty. He's not just going to give them grain. He is giving them the land of Goshen, which is the most prosperous, most prestigious part of the land. He is moving them into the suburbs where they will be right next to a Whole Foods and a Trader Joe's in a famine. There could be people driving smart cars and paying to go to CrossFit. It's going to be an amazing place of wealth. Look down at verse 16. Now, the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land in a famine. He says, bring them in, give them a big house in the suburbs, make sure their house is close. To I don't, the, the Cheesecake Factory, right? I know we're in a famine, but give them one of those 24-page menus. Let them pick. They can walk it off in the Goshen Mall after, burn the calories. And that's not all. He says, bring them here and bring them in a decked-out stretch Hummer like it's prom in 2009. Look at verse 19. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts, carts out of the land of Egypt. These would have been expensive. This would have been their version of... Uh, the highest level of transportation. You, your little ones, your wives, your father, and come. You don't have to walk all the way. We're going to pick you up. He says, fit whatever you can. Uh, well, wait, actually, here we go. Uh, take Verse 20, he says, do not be concerned about your goods, right? Fit what you can in there. If you can't fit something in there, we'll give it to you when you get back. 
For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Verse 21, the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them the carts according to the command of Pharaoh. He gave them provisions for the journey. I mean, this is literally their equivalent of a, a limo, the presidential limo in the cavalcade. He said, just bring whatever you can back. If not, we'll give you the royal credit card. You go to Costco, make up for whatever you lost. That's literally what's going to be. Then he dresses them up in Armani, right? Ralph Lauren, J. Crew, look at verse 22. He gave them, each man, a change of garments. But to Benjamin, it's kind of interesting. I don't really know all that's going on here. He gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. After all, they are full brothers. Right? Not half-brothers. So here's the idea. Last time they saw him, they ripped off his garment, that coat of many colors. They dipped it in blood, and now he gives them new garments that are as clean as can be. Does that remind you of anything in the New Testament? Amen? This is extravagant, opulent, abundant acceptance is the point I'm trying to make. All I can think of when I read this verse is how Jesus is inviting us to live with him forever and be co-heirs of all his wealth. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you that where I am, you might be also. You know, we kind of do believe in a prosperity gospel. It's just we don't know if you're going to prosper right now. Can't guarantee that. In fact, you might suffer right now, but one day you're going to prosper beyond anything you can imagine. Right? Like uh, Scott was talking about Revelation towards the end of the book. I mean, read Revelation 21 about the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus restores all things. I mean, it's a prosperous place beyond anything you can imagine. We've got a thousand mile wall made of 12 kinds of precious stone, it's just a wall. Streets made out of gold as clear as glass, seas like crystal, poverty's no more. The inheritance, the guarantee of the gospel, eventually, in eternity, is abundant prosperity in proximity to our abundant Jesus who lavishes us with abundant acceptance. I mean, it would be one thing if Joseph just forgave them and sent them back home, kind of like a Lot and Abraham situation. You live over there, I'll live over here, no hard feelings. Right? That would make some sense. But he not only forgives them and tolerates them, he then talks with them, enjoys them, and invites them to live with him. This abundant acceptance is just freely given by Joseph to his brothers and by Jesus to us. Can you accept such abundant acceptance. Now, I know what you're thinking. Of course I can. I definitely can accept that. Not so fast. Maybe harder than it sounds. Right? Imagine you're an Egyptian who already lives in Goshen. You've been faithful to the Pharaoh your whole life. And now he lets this whole clan of foreigners move into your land to take the same resources, the best resources, out of nowhere. I know you can accept the fact that you're going to heaven, but can you accept the fact that the same acceptance getting you there is given to all sorts of strangers, to all sorts of people who you somewhere deep down think you're more deserving than? See, Jesus' acceptance isn't just unnatural, it is unfair. And for some people, it is so infuriating 
that it's unfair. You know, that's why they killed him, right? Because he said he was God, and then he was giving acceptance to prostitutes and drunks and tax collectors, as well as the Pharisees who turned to him. This infuriated the religious leaders of his day, a man of the cloth and a crackhead getting the same reward? They couldn't believe it. It's unfair. In fact, Jesus, in one sense, acknowledged all this in one of his parables. He talks about how there was a landowner who had a vineyard. And at the beginning of the day, he said, hey, come work my land. I'll give you one denarius. And then at nine, he talked to another guy and said, come work my land. I'll give you a denarius. Then at three, then at five, then one hour before they close up shop, he went and found some laborers and said, come work and I'll give you a denarius. And at the end of the day, the guys who worked for one hour got a denarius. And the guys who had been working since dawn got a denarius. And the guys who had been working since dawn were like, that's not fair. They were infuriated. You know what Jesus says? Jesus goes, I can do whatever I want. That's what he says. I can do whatever I want. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. So if you don't like it, if you think it's that unfair, you're free to go. Jesus said, yeah, this is what it's like. Some of you are going to get saved at the age of six. You'll serve me in ministry. You might even be martyred for my cause, and you will be accepted. And then some of you will spend your lifespan on sin and debauchery and darkness, and with your dying breath, call on the name of the Lord, and you will be accepted just the same. You good with this? Are you good with this? It's totally unfair. We're all, I mean, we're going to the same heaven as St. Peter, St. Paul, St. whoever. You're all welcome in Goshen. The Pharisees of day could not accept acceptance. Can you? If Russia today was to repent of this war with Ukraine and revival broke out over there, could you accept the fact that they're just as accepted? Could you sit next to Putin at the marriage supper in the land? Of the land. Let me bring it a little closer. Are you uh, closer to home? Are you okay with the fact that there are people in jail just as accepted as you? Who've done things you might never do. Or at least you think you never do. Are you okay with the fact that you are not more accepted as someone who's saved going into rehab? Are you okay with the fact that those who wronged you, if they're saved, are just as accepted as you are? Are you okay with the fact that there are people right now sitting in the pews of denominations we disagree with on a lot of things, but they truly do believe the gospel, and they're just as accepted as us in our denomination, and we're not more accepted than they are? Are you okay with the fact that you are not easier to accept because of your skin color or economic status? Are you okay with the fact that you are not easier to accept then your political enemies are harder to accept, easier to accept, because you are an American. Are you cool with this? It's hard, because it's unfair to us. But truly, it's better than fair. You know, those Pharisees who are infuriated by this, Jesus said, you want fair? Some of you will get fair, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some of you need to quit seeing others as more or less deserving than you. Stop worrying about what grace others are getting from Jesus and whether or not they deserve it more or less than you. Some of you, this is where you're at. You simply must accept the fact that you 
are accepted by Christ, and so are all who call on His name. That means that we're all on this level ground under the cross, but it's good ground to be on. You, can you accept it? Can you accept the acceptance of Jesus? We're going to sing, I think we're going to do two more songs instead of three, just because we had a lot going on today. We're a little over time, no big deal. Jesus has been good to us and kind to us. We can take a little extra time to talk about his goodness, his kindness. Here's what I'll end with as Andrew comes up, just a story. 1400s, Ireland, there were two families, Fitzgeralds and the Butlers. They were friends. And then this position came up in royalty, some position in the kingdom there, and both families wanted their boys to get that position. So the Fitzgeralds and the butlers started fighting. First it was verbal, then it actually got physical, like two armies. They start warring against each other. The Fitzgeralds were winning. The butlers were losing. The butlers had to actually hide in St. Patrick's Cathedral for some sanctuary. And the Fitzgerald, the father of the Fitzgerald said, this is ridiculous, this is, this is not right. We should be at peace. We should be accepting of one another. And so he went to make amends, but they wouldn't come out of St. Patrick's Cathedral because they didn't trust him. True story, he cut a hole, just the small, it's just a little square hole in the door of that cathedral. It is still there to this day. And Fitzgerald put his arm just through the hole of that door. And when he did that, they knew they could trust him because, I mean, that takes a lot of courage. Your enemies are on the other side of that door. I mean, they could harm you. They could cut that thing off. But he took his own risk to accept them and to be accepted by them. And the butlers on the other side of that door simply shook that hand. And the war was over. To this day, it's called the door of reconciliation. Jesus is a lot like this. Jesus has placed his arm at his own risk to his own damage through the door of reconciliation to us to accept us that there would be peace between us and God. And everything in us wants to earn it, deserve it, be better, be good, try harder. But all we're called to do every day is wake up and shake that hand and enjoy him and be enjoyed by him forever. To do that, we have to do the hard work of not working. We have to accept that we're accepted. Let's think about, pray about that now. We're going to sing a couple songs, and then we'll let you go.